I want you to um, go with me tonight. We, I want to look at some scriptures. And uh, I want to talk to you tonight about Jesus. Amen. How about that? Come to church and talk about Jesus. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about Jesus the King. <clears throat> Matthew, he reveals Jesus as King of the Jews. He is called also the Messiah. He's called the Redeemer. He's called the Savior. He's called the Lamb, all in Matthew. <clears throat> but uh, Tonight, I just want to talk to you about Matthew's revelation of Jesus the King. The King is the final authority in the kingdom, right? He is subject to no one. Jesus was subject to no one except his Father God. And even though that Jesus is the Son of God, he was equal with God. And he was sent to establish the rule upon the earth. Colossians 1 and 13 tells us, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. We are no longer of the kingdom of this world, but we are now of the kingdom of God. Amen. 1 John chapter 3 and 8 says, He that <clears throat> committeth sin is of the devil. <clears throat> right? Now, if you... I'm not no theologian, but I'll, let me tell you this. When that E-T-H is on the end, it means continually. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if it were the case that anybody who had ever sinned is of the devil, then we're all of the devil. But it's that one who continues to sin. Amen? Our father is the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so Jesus, the king, was sent to destroy sin and darkness and evil, and he was sent to rule uh, be the ruler of light, and so he is our king. Matthew chapter 27, Jesus found himself in front of Pontius Pilate, and Pilate questioned him about <clears throat> these accusations that were against him, and that was, he said, the people are saying that you're calling yourself the king of the Jews. Is this true? And he said, do you, do you really believe that you are the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered in verse 11, and he told him, Jesus said, you said it. In other words, the words that you've spoken, it is, it is just as you've declared that I am the king of the Jews. Praise God. The king rules all of the land. There are no laws which are above the king. The king decrees a thing, and the decree is established. What he says is not something that is optionable. Amen. It becomes law. He is the one and the ultimate and the supreme one that rules and reigns. And so, in other words, uh, any voice that speaks to you that is contrary to the voice of the king, then we don't have a responsibility to listen to it. Amen. Another voice or a power such as sickness, poverty, hopelessness, impossibility, all of these voices that come 
they talk us out of and say that, that this is the way it is. Well, we don't have a, a, a responsibility to listen to those powers because there is a voice of the king who is declaring what is authority. And his word is the final word over our life. And so just tell sickness and infirmity our king says that we are healed. Amen. Tell hopelessness and impossibility that our king said that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. Our king is not only to be revered and honored and to be feared, but he is also to be worshipped. <clears throat> Whenever in Matthew chapter 2, the, key, the three wise men came and when they found Jesus, they, the Bible said they, they did two things. Number one, they worshipped him. They literally found him and when they found him, they recognized him as the Messiah, as the king, and they worshipped him. The second thing that they did is they brought him gifts. Every time that we come to the house of God, we should bring a love gift to the king. Amen. We ought to esteem him, the sovereignty of his authority. We ought to bring him honor and respect. Whenever we was in Africa, we learned that, that whenever we went in and, and tried to uh, receive uh, access into a community or a city or a region, that we would go and we would take gifts to um, one time it was the vice president whenever we was in McCurdy and we went and seen the vice president and we took him gifts and other times it would be whatever the situation was, we would find the one that was in charge and we would take them gifts because it showed honor and respect. Amen. And so when we come to the house of God, we need to bring him honor. We need to bring him respect. And I know that, that uh, you know, finances is part of that but it's not the whole of that. Amen? Because what he wants is he wants not just our, our finances, he wants our time, our talents, our treasures. And so we give him our everything and our praise and honors him. Amen? It becomes a, a scepter to him. Our worship becomes his throne. Our song becomes his robe. Our lives becomes his crown that we begin to collectively cry, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Amen. Can we just say that together tonight? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. You see, when we say that, we begin to create an atmosphere. Amen. There is a collective atmosphere that begins to shift and begins to change when we begin to sing, Oh, hail King Jesus. Oh, hail Emmanuel, King of kings and Lord of lords. When we begin to give him praise, we begin to create a throne for him to set upon. We put a robe of, of, of our praise upon him. And when we do that, he begins to inhabit our praise. If we ever come before his presence of the earthly king with a half-hearted praise, then it, it appears that it, and it demonstrates disrespect or a lack of honor. Amen? 
And if we would come with a half praise or even show dishonor to a, a king or to a president, then we would most likely be quickly or immediately removed from their presence. If we don't stand, if we do not stand before Christ, our king, and honor him, the privilege is this, that we are able, we that are human, we that are frail, we that are unrighteous and unholy except by his grace are able to stand in his presence and call him not only a king of kings but lord of lords amen and savior and redeemer this is why that we should never allow our attitude to prevent us from praising god Amen. We should never allow, amen, our attitude or anything to distract us from worshiping the king. <clears throat> amen. I remember times whenever you didn't have to have everything right to worship. <laughs> I wish we could go back. Amen. I remember whenever the, the sound didn't have to be right and we had little old things from Radio Shack. But people would worship Come on, thank God for some good music, good sound, right? But, but, but what I'm saying is this, is it, it didn't take all that. We, 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 the heat wasn't, you know, it wasn't cold, too cold. It wasn't cold enough or it wasn't hot enough. All those things did not distract us. Amen? You know, today, preachers can't even preach if a baby cries. Amen? But I'm telling you the truth. We've got to not allow any of those things to distract us from worshiping the king. To give him praise and glory. Refuse to allow anything, amen, to stop you from honoring and reverencing the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Please remember this. Nothing is more, uh, more important than worshiping the king. And whenever we begin to... The, when we have the lack of worship, then it is a reflection of our perception of God. Whenever we don't worship, it is a reflection of our perception of who he is. Think about this. Our praise is only as good as, as, good as how we see God. God, in our lives, if he is, if he, we see him or perceive him as to be less than, right? We sung here a while ago, he's a good, good father. That's who you are. You're perfect in all of your ways. But if our perception is not you're perfect in all of your ways, then we will not worship him like he is perfect in all of his ways. If our praise is half-hearted, then something is messed up in our perception of who God is and we need our perception adjusted. Because at, at best, at, 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 excuse me, at the worst of our life, he is still on his throne. At the worst of our life, he is still God. At the worst of what is going on in our world, he is still worthy of our praise. Amen. Our praise is a reflection of our perception of who God is. And God is a real good father. 
Amen. He will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. He will not. We may not understand him. We may not comprehend what we're going through. But he is a good father and he will take care of us. Amen. You believe that? Give him a little praise right here tonight. The king and the king alone is the one who grants access into his presence. When Queen Esther said to Mordecai, I I come before the king and live if he extends his scepter. Well, I've got good news tonight. Jesus Christ has already extended his scepter toward all men. Whenever he stretched out his arms on the cross of Calvary, Amen. He stretched forth his scepter. Amen. And he said, whosoever will, let them come. Praise God. I'm glad for that tonight. Amen. I'm glad for that. Second Corinthians 5 and 21 says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. (laughs) Hallelujah. On the cross, Jesus extended his righteousness to mankind. Man needed righteousness because there was no one righteous within, uh, within the man. But you see, he had to come and to man through a righteous king. And I'm thankful that our king is righteous tonight. He is righteous to us. He extends his scepter of righteousness and stretches forth his arms. Because of this, we can run boldly into the presence of God. Because of this, we can give him our lives, our praise, our worship. Because of this, our worship can become his throne in which he is set upon. Because of this, our song becomes his robe. And he becomes a man exalted in our lives as we praise and we worship him. That's two things that the, the, they did whenever the wise men found him. And I want to talk to you about three areas that Jesus is king tonight. First of all, in Matthew chapter 20, verse, start verse number 1, and ver, we'll go through verse 16 right here, and then we'll go a little further. Amen. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landlord who went out early in the morning and hired labors for his vineyard. And now he had agreed with the labors for denarii a day or a penny a day, and he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give it to you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said unto him, Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when every evening had come and uh, give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first, and when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. And when the first came, they supposed they would receive more, and they likewise received a denarius. 
And when they had received it, they complained against the landlord, saying, uh, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat all day. But the... He answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. It is not lawful for me to do this, what I wish with my own things, or is is your eye evil because I am good? Wow. So the last will be first and the first last, for many are called but few are chosen. This parable of an owner of a vineyard who went out and hired this crew of workers in the vineyard early in the morning, he found some men, he hired them to work, they negotiated with the employment agreement and they agreed to work for a penny a day the vineyard owner goes out at the third hour of the day and he saw some others and he tells he offers them a job and he says and he says to them I'll pay you what is right they agreed to work the sixth hour and ninth hour he does the same and notice that he tells them I'll pay you what is right and one last time he goes out at the eleventh hour And he finds some people there that haven't worked all day. And he tells them, why aren't you you working? They tell him, nobody's hired us. He says, go to work. And he said, I'll pay you what is right. Right? And he replies, go into the vineyard. I'll give you what is right. And when the day comes to an end, they come in from the vineyard. And and, and now uh, they begin, the one who has hired them begins to hand out the pay. And he gives the ones that was worked an hour a penny. He gives those who have worked half a day and three quarters a day a penny. And then it comes to the ones that worked all day long and they receive the same. And immediately the scripture said they began to complain. They were upset. This last men have worked only one hour and you've given them the same as what you gave us. And they said, this is unfair. We did all of this work. They shouldn't be getting paid the same as what we did. They should, we should get a lot more than what they got. And the owner of the vineyard replies and said, I did you no wrong. I gave you what we agreed to. Right? In other words, I've paid you according to our agreement. You agreed that you would work for a penny a day. And so that is what I've given you. So what I want to say tonight is this, that I believe that this is a picture of God's grace. Jesus ended this parable by saying, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. God's grace is unmerited favor. It's undeserving. It cannot be earned or worked out or for, right? The Bible tells us that Abraham was justified by faith. He believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. His righteousness came through faith, right? It was not a result of his works. Rather, it was a result of the grace. Had had this righteousness been by his works, he would have had nothing for which to be 
thankful for it or to boast about because all he could say is, I worked hard and I got grace. Amen? But Romans 4 and 4 tells us that if our reward is the result of our works, then it is of debt and not of grace. In other words, if we work according to our own power, understanding, ability, and all of our resources, then we are going to, to the end up in a place of deficit and debt. Because I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean we all ought to work hard. I was just reading the Proverbs today, and it says that if man is lazy, he doesn't eat. Amen? So we all need to work hard, do our work, but it isn't because of our work that causes us to get ahead. How many know good, hard-working people that don't get ahead? They work hard. They work hard. They're hard-working people, but they don't get ahead. It seems like there's a deficit. It seems like there's a debt. But the grace of God, amen? Yes, we all work. Amen? If we work, our reward is not grace. It is one of a debt. But we must never forget the grace is an unmerited, unearned, and undeserving. It does not come as a result of our work. (coughs) Our work has nothing to do with our salvation, but has everything to do with our reward. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so what we have to do is understand the Bible clearly tells us that grace is given to all men. It is not available and accessible just to a few people. It is available and accessible to everyone. Because of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And it, 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 it includes all men. And so the parable of the vineyard owner demonstrates how God gives the same measure of grace to everyone that works in his vineyard. Amen. The owner repeatedly told the laborers that they would that he would give them each what is right. And when it came time to receive their pay, each of them received this penny. They receive the same reward. This shows, amen, the grace of God. One did not receive more than another. Why? Because their reward was not based upon their works. It was based upon his grace. Amen. Grace is a free gift. It's not something in which we work for, earn, but it is his favor upon our lives. It doesn't matter how much time we put in or what we do. Those who work all day received a penny and those who worked an hour received a penny. It was all the same. It was a grace gift that was being given out. The hearts of men that were hired first revealed their hearts through their complaining. They lacked understanding. They lacked it lacked revelation of the grace they had mentally thought that we deserve more than these other people they felt entitled amen now more likely than not 
we've all fallen into this attitude or this entitlement at one time or another in our lives. I know how we are supposed to act, but I also know that we're all human. And it's easy for us to look at others and not understand how they have what we've got when we've been doing all of this. We just don't click. We just don't jive. Maybe there's barriers. Maybe there's cultural barriers, age barriers, whatever it is, whatever the reason is. We just don't understand them. We just don't get them. And it becomes very easy for us to have an attitude that says we deserve more. We compare our faithfulness to other people's faithfulness. Huh? We go to church twice a week. They show up twice a month. <laughs> oh, let's just hold hands and sing Kumbaya right there. Amen. Because we feel we're more faithful. We think we should get more, be promoted more. We feel entitled to be favored more than they are favored. Or we compare our, our, our sacrifices. We feel like that, that we, we give more of our time, our talents, our treasures. We feel like that we give more uh, time to the church. We, we carry more of the load. We're always here first to serve. Right? We're the last to leave. And it's easy to get an attitude because we lack understanding of God's amazing grace. 1 Samuel 30, when David and his men came back, their homes at Ziglag, you remember that story? Everything was destroyed, the city was burnt down, and they were ready to kill David. I, I haven't figured that out yet, but... Anyways, they was ready to kill David and, and David gets over there in a the corner and begins to pray and he says, God, what should I do? And, and he tells him, he said, go pursue and recover all, right? And he starts out with 600 men. They begin to pursue. They've just come back from battle, mind you. And there is 200 of them that said, we can't go another step. We are, we are exhausted. We're tired. We're weary. And, and the scripture says that those 200 stayed behind and the 400 pursued and, uh, uh, and overtook and recovered all. And whenever they got back, they, they, the 400 told David, said, they, we ain't giving none of this up. We know we got their wives and their children and their gold and their silver, but we, we ain't giving this up. They didn't fight for it. They ain't getting it back. But what did David tell them? He said, uh-uh, grace. They fought before, they were tired, they were weary. Amen, that's, that's, the, that's the message of grace. It's whenever we, others are tired and others are weary that we keep praying for their families. We keep, amen, they are battle scarred, they're weary, they may have lost everything, but come on now, this is the kingdom of God. This isn't the world, amen. We don't take advantage of somebody who has been defeated or let down, amen. We begin to 
join around them and say, yeah, you may be weary, you may be tired, but I've got a little strength. I've got a little gas left in the tank and I'm going to fight for your family. I'm going to fight for your children. I'm going to fight for your finances and we're going to bring this thing back home and we're going to rejoice together. Glory to God. Amen. You see, there is a big challenge and issue in this parable. The king is asking, are you doing your work for yourself to gain favor, to gain recognition, to gain accolades, pats on the back, or are you doing it for the king? What are we doing this for? Are we doing it for ourselves, for the sake of of grace? If we are, then our attitudes tell us on us because it reflects our heart. How do you act if you don't get a data boy? How do you act if nobody gives you notoriety? How do you act if nobody thanks you for bringing an umbrella to them in the rain? How do we act if nobody says that's a great word or that's a wonderful worship? Amen. Yes, it helps. Thank God for an attaboy every once in a while. Thank God that they honor and we respect one another. But what are we doing it for? Our attitude betrays us when we get fussy and out of shape and we get offended and we begin to throw fits because we, we, they, they've got the grace that we deserve. Amen. But thank God there's enough grace to go around. Amen. And our spiritual evidence is this, that even though that we may grow weary in well-doing, that his strength and his grace will continually be upon our lives. Amen. Our attitudes reveal our heart. So remember, our spiritual, spirituality is evidence, not by our ability to do more than others, but by saying, okay, I'm going to do it regardless because it's his grace. It's his mercy. He's the king of grace. He's also the king of humility. Read on down to verse 20, 21. Do we have that? Then they came to him, came to him, the mother of Zebedee's children, were the sons of worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him and said unto her, what, will you, what do you want? And she said unto him, grant that these two my sons may sit the one on the right hand and the one on the left hand in your kingdom. Amen. How many are thankful for prayers God didn't answer? Amen. He said, are you willing, I I don't have it there for you, but are you willing, can you drink from the cup which I drink from? Oh, yeah, that's no problem. Amen. This question immediately identifies a problem here. How, How many know that? They come to Jesus and they bowed on their knee, but they didn't bow in their heart. You can't, can't you hear the pride of this mother? Look at my two sons. Wouldn't you like to have them sitting one on the right and one on the left? They'd, they'd even enhance your, your view when they looked at your throne. 
heart of a man is filled with pride. Pride is the root of all sin. In fact, pride was the very first sin committed by mankind. The first sin, and you say, well, that wasn't the first sin, but listen, the first sin that Adam and Eve was, was not that they ate the fruit. That's just the result of their sin. Pride is what caused them to eat the fruit when they lifted themselves up and said, we want to be like God. Amen? We want to be equal with him. They wanted to be this supersede the will of God. They wanted this pride in them was the first sin that ever took place. Pride is definitely the root of all sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we all have had pride in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. The only way to deal with our pride is through Christ. Amen. Humility comes through the king of humility, and that is Jesus Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, creature. Amen. He is the one who gives us a pure heart. He is the one who teaches us how to be humble and have humility. Amen. And it's it's a transformation that only can take place in the heart. It can't take place in the head. It must take place in the heart. And when it takes place in our heart, then we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Amen. And in due season, he will raise us up. The humility of the king is revealed to us in Philippians 2 and verse 6. He says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Think about that. Took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death of the cross. Jesus was in the form of God. He was equal with him, but he did not consider himself to be robbed of who he was by taking on the form of a servant. Amen. How many know that that'd be that that'd be tough? Can we be honest? We want to be religious. I mean, the king of glory comes into the earth. Amen. And and when he gets up there and they start, you know, I can see him 12 years old and he opens up the canon and he begins to say the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor to heal the broken heart and set at liberty them that are bruised amen and he begins to quote and begins to find himself in scripture and declares who he is now it would he knew who he was right he knew who he was so it would have been easy for him to go out of there whenever they was trying to to you know do whatever they do and and probably uh you know it uh I don't know, but when they're trying to make him be human or whatever and, and, and tried to cause him, said, go over and clean that barn out. 
It would have been easy for him to stick out his chest and say, they just don't know who I am. He said, talk to the hand. Because you just don't know who I am. But he humbled himself. Amen. And became a servant. He had a submissive heart to the Father. So that he submitted himself and became servant of all. Philippians 2 and 9 tells us, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him. Wherefore? Wherefore what? Because he humbled himself. Amen. And was obedient unto death, even the cross. Wherefore? Because he did that. God, Father, has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. (laughs) Praise God. He declared him king over all. There is only one name which is higher than any other, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only king. He is the exalted one. He is king of kings and lord of lords, but it is because he is king of humility. Amen. He humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant. He made himself of no reputation, and then God gave him a name which is above every name. That's the greatest humility. That's the key to humility. Can I give you one more? Jesus is king of compassion. Let's read verse 29 and 34. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the way, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. The multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will you have me to do? Unto you. And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. These two blind men were sitting by the road. They heard Jesus was coming. They cried out, Thou son of David, have mercy upon us. And Jesus stopped in the road. He says, what, what do you want me to do for you? And they said that our eyes may be open. And Jesus took time to heal the blind. I believe the church of today needs to open our eyes and our ears to hear the desperate cries that are coming all around us. Our busyness with our own lives is our own refusal to care. We don't have time for nobody else. We don't have time. People ask me, you know, well, let me back up. I haven't been asked for a long time, but people used to ask me, how come we see so many miracles overseas and so little here? But uh, I haven't even been asked that for a long time. But this is a question. We are so busy that we don't even have time for miracles miracles don't have to happen just on Sunday miracles happened in Jesus' life as he went 
He found the hurting. He found the broken. He found those in need. And he had compassion. And out of his compassion, he brought healing to them. So the greatest miracle that you may ever see may not even be in a church building. It may be at your work. The greatest miracle you may see may be in Walmart. Amen? Just, just be in Jesus. Just be in Jesus. Just, just reflecting his compassion to those who are in need. Amen? We, we are void of compassion. We lack our, in our response. You know, I, I've, I've said this before, and, and I'll say it again as pastor. We, we have to teach people today what people used to know just by being alive. Just by being a person. People don't know, people don't, uh, people don't have compassion. People don't care for one another like we used to care. Amen? Our lack of response, in essence, to hurting broken people is the same as those people telling them on that day to shut up, be quiet, and don't bother Jesus. The cries of the broken people, we've got a messed up society. We are bankrupt morally in our systems and we have been ignoring far too long the cries that are coming into our lives. Just like those blind men that cried the louder, our world is on fire crying out for help. Now, now understand they're not crying out. Our nation is in a condition of, of crying out for, for God, but they're not saying, they're not crying out for Jesus. They're not crying out for him, but they don't know him, that they need him. But what they're asking for, only he can provide. Amen. And so what I'm saying is that this world's condition is crying out. It's just the fact of our society is estranged from God and, and has tried to remove everything about God from the face of our society. It is crying out. It's the condition is crying. We are either ignoring the cry or we can do something about it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like Jesus heard the cry of these blind people, we can heal these people. We can heal this land. Huh? Do we really believe that? That we can heal this land? I really believe this land can be healed. Why do I believe that? Because God said, if my people, which are called by my name, amen, would take on the form of Jesus, king humility, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from our wicked ways. I mean, the old, even in the church, and you, y'all, I've been your pastor long enough. You know I ain't a clothesline and all that mess. I got more to preach on and all that junk. But I'm telling you, we, we've got a lot of stuff in the church that we just need to get rid of. Amen. He said, I will forgive their sins and heal their land. 
We have to have compassion. It's easy for us to, you know, I, we can throw stones at all the politicians and all of the mess. But listen, God's not going to bypass the church house to fix the White House. We got to get this house. We got to get his kingdom in order. And when his kingdom is order, it'll undo, outdo, and overdo anything the devil has ever done. Amen. And so we have to come to this place of compassion and hear the cries of the hurting and the broken humanity so that we can reach out with a healing, loving Jesus and show them the compassion because Jesus is the king of grace, he's the king of humility, and he's the king of compassion according to Matthew. Amen. And I believe he is all of those things, don't you? Praise God. Well, I just wanted to challenge you tonight, challenge you to let him be king. Let him be king in every area of our lives. Is that all right? Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time in your word tonight. I pray that it challenges us, God. I pray that it challenges each and every one that's here tonight like you have challenged me. God, to be more like you. Help me to be more like you. Let the king be revealed. I pray, God, that you and that I would not become hard-hearted or I would not become like one of those who came in from the vineyard anger because someone else received the grace and the measure of grace that I received. But help me, Father, that we love one another and we have compassion for one another. God, we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God that you will raise us up in due season. God, I pray tonight that you will be all, do all, and accomplish all in all of our lives that you will receive glory. Not so that men will look at me, but they will see my good works and glorify you in heaven. God, we thank you and we praise you for this tonight in the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise